Warning. What you're about to hear is born of long years of deep friendship, shared experience, brutal honesty, and the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Please do not walk up to the first black or white person you know and start this sort of banter. It will not end well. Welcome to Racial Heresy, the show where two Episcopal priests, one black, one white, attempt to violate the established racial doctrines of American culture and provoke you to do the same. This is Father Jabrell Ballantine, an Ethiopian coffee-drinking, black Madonna, venerating, white fragility-shattering priest, husband, father, friend, and all-around good Negro. And this is Father Case Ramey, a leftward-leaning, NPR-streaming, gradualism-appealing, ta Coates-reading, priest, husband, father, friend, and all-around high-quality cracker. How you doing, brother? I am doing very well, especially because we are here, our first-ever Racial Heresy recording before a live studio audience. Yeah, man. You know, at that point in time, I just was thinking about we need one of those, like, applause, you know. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You know, so that every, as soon as you said that, everybody could have gone, ah! <laughs> but, you know, it is cool. You know, we have this live studio audience. Of course, the black man got left out, and now I'm in the yeah, background. Well. I'm still in Orlando. And so it's live for you, though, and I'm part of you. That's so right. thanks be to God. Right. This is- yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. It is. It is. Uh, we are here as guests of uh, Convergence in Alexandria, and uh, thank you all for hosting uh, this recording tonight. It's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful time. And another first, I've actually dragged you into something instead of you dragging wow. me the other way. yeah, yeah. Yo, y'all always hear about the shenanigans that I drag Case into, kicking and screaming, always doing something. But here it is. We have come a long way by faith. And, you know, we finally come to the position where Father Case has actually dragged me into something. And that deserves a round of applause. That deserves a Facebook like, some sort of tweet, something to give a shout out to Father Case for stepping out and making the initiative. Not too far, brother. Not too far, but just a little bit, just a little bit. And uh, we're going to keep dragging, though. We're going to keep dragging. I know, I know. Um, It is uh, is tonight what I have drugged Father Jabrell into is an exploration um, of race identity and the prophetic voice and uh, the challenge that art can and is to white supremacy in our culture and in our faith. Um, We have tonight with us a guest, uh, Margaret Adams Parker, known to her friends as Peggy. She is an artist, sculptor, a prophetic voice in the church, and adjunct professor of visual arts and the life of faith in the Department of Religion and Culture at Virginia Theological Seminary. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you, Case. It is a pleasure to be here, part of this conversation. Well, thank you very much. Um, Peggy uh, was kind enough to invite me to photograph a sculpture that she was making um, and that she had been commissioned to make by Virginia Theological Seminary. And I'm going to let her, uh, what do you think, Father Jarrell, we let her tell, tell a little bit about this or should I just keep rambling on and, and hold the podium all to myself? Well, no, we hear you talk often enough, and, and the world don't need another white man going on for on for days. So let 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 the white woman and the black man talk for a while. Very well, and, very well. <laughs> I'll, I'll take but, my privilege and step back and let you two uh, go for it. So. But Peggy, and it's hard because I can't see Peggy, right? So I'm having this conversation with somebody that I'm not seeing right now. But Peggy, forgive me. But um, I'm I'm fascinated to know because I'm familiar with the sculpture. Of course, Case showed me the pictures that he took um, and 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 talked about it. But just as as a framework for our listeners and for the audience there that's gathered, um, how did this whole sculpture project come about? And what was the point? What was the goal of this project? The the dean at Virginia Seminary 
commissioned a sculpture from me. He had seen others of my sculpture, and it okay. was intended as part of the rebuilding a program um, after the fire that destroyed the historic chapel. And, you know, we built a new chapel, and he wanted a sculpture. And after a good deal of discussion, he decided or we decided that it would be on the subject of the visitation, the Magnificat. Okay. Uh, when right. Mary, as we know, goes to visit Elizabeth, I always think she goes to visit the only person that she feels can comfort her because she is in a very perilous position. She's pregnant before marriage um, and in a society where she could have been stoned to death. Mm -hmm. And um, so the dean gave me free reign. He said, the only thing I want is for both Mary and Elizabeth to appear pregnant. And he thought that this would be a way of making visible women's ministries, which are significant in in our church, in the Episcopal church. And um, so as I started reading the Magnificat, Mary's words, I thought um, how beautiful the opening lines are. My soul magnifies the Lord. And I was reminded of the many beautiful musical settings um, to that, the the ways many settings, um, musical settings that those words have been set to. And in the Episcopal Church, um, the Magnificat is always a part of the Evensong service, and um, which has m- often glorious musical settings for all of the readings. And I thought that because those settings are so beautiful and those initial words are such words of adoration, that we often are swept away on this tide of beauty, and we don't focus on the prophetic nature of the words later on. Um, The rich will be sent away empty. The hungry will be filled with good things. The powerful will be cast down from their thrones. And it seemed to me that in these words, Mary stands in the tradition of those Old Testament prophets. Um, She stands in the tradition of Elizabeth's son, yet to be born, John the Baptist, yeah. and her own son. The, those words that turn the world upside down. And I thought, how could I embody that prophetic utterance in this three-dimensional work? And interestingly, okay. there are no other works of art that I know of that address Mary as a prophet. There are hymn texts, there are poems, but no visual works that I could mm. look to. Um, and what came to me is that Mary, very young, and Elizabeth, very old, that Mary is seized by prophecy at this moment, and it is pouring through her. And at that moment, she is unaware of the world around her. She's vulnerable. And Elizabeth 
is the anchor. She is her support. Elizabeth reaches out to support and comfort and protect Mary at this moment of her vulnerability. So that was that was the idea that I started with. Cool. Awesome. I, and I appreciate you sharing that backdrop uh, because it sets up beautifully uh, for this, this, this segue where, you know, the interesting thing about this, and we're going to post pictures of this um, on, on the website, racialheresy.com to be posted with the, with the, um, with the blog, with the, with the article, with the uh, podcast episode. Uh, so you'll see what I'm talking about y'all, but this portrayal of Mary and Martha in, in this sculpture, Mary and Martha are portrayed with Af- <laughs> Lord have mercy. The, the the mind just immediately goes to Mary and Martha. Forgive me. Mary and Elizabeth are portrayed with African features. They are distinctly Africanoid. So so to tell me, uh, Peggy, what what made what prompted that, especially in the context of of prophecy? What prompted that? Well, Case and I've had a, a, a back and forth discussion about this because I have said and written about this. And it's, it's quite literally true that I, I work from the feet up, and I, I had this little discussion with myself and friends about what the face was going to be when I got to the face. And I got to the face, and I still hadn't decided. And it, some possibilities, would they, they could be contemporary American sort of uh, figures. Uh, my, my sculpture I did on the return of the prodigal son for Duke Divinity School there are th- three contemporary Americans, um, the, the father and two brothers. Um, so I could have gone that way. I could have said, well, what would a Palestinian or a, um, a Judean woman have looked like? Um, I could have said, well, maybe I should make them Jewish. Um, although what we think of as Jewish is not probably what uh, the Judean woman, <laughs> women look like. Um, and so right. I was thinking about these various options and sitting in chapel, and we have um, African-American faculty. We have uh, a long relationship at Virginia Seminary. Uh, students come from Africa. I saw one of our beautiful young African students, and it just came to me, I'll make them African. And um, afterwards, I thought of a lot of reasons of why this this would be appropriate, that the, we have that long relationship and students come from the, the African continent, have come for many decades to study. Um, there is that, the I, if there's anywhere where the prophetic voice is alive and well in preaching, it's in the African-American churches. And I thought there's lots of reasons for this. Um, and, um, but Case said, I don't think it just came then. And I have actually, um, I've conceded that he's right, that I had thought about this before. You should try that sometime, Jabril, just conceding that I'm right. I'm just saying uh, that was, I'm not there good. yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he pointed out that I had a, a photo of Mahalia Jackson singing, hanging in my sculpture, in, in my sculpture studio, and another um, a wonderful painting called Ruby Green uh, Singing of a beautiful young African-American woman singing and and um, images of Africans, uh, refugees, and um, and I myself rarely preach, but I did preach 
a number of years ago a sermon um, on the Magnificat and using um, photos by Roy de Carava, who, um, who's the, a magnificent African, very elderly now, African-American photographer. And there were uh, photos of the Mississippi Freedom Marchers in the civil rights struggle, these beautiful African-American women. And um, so, so clearly this has been in my head for a long time, um, but that the actual impetus to to make their features African came from from that moment in the chapel. Mm. Mm. And I remember in, in, in talking with Case, uh, he also said it was, it was it was almost like a Holy Spirit moment, a gift from the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, Case, you can jump in here. I guess I'll, I'll take the muzzle off of you. And, Thank you, uh, <laughs> And, you know, what would you say makes this a, the, 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 the features... African features of Mary and Elizabeth, what would make this a gift from the Holy Spirit? I just remember uh, you you had you had spoken about that in in the in the creation in in the in that studio we were talking or maybe it was in uh, Kate's kitchen um, uh, as over a cup of tea trying to to sort of talk through it that you talked about how the spirit was moving in in this decision for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, and we've talked here at the Convergence Congregation in in um, in the several um, programs that we've had earlier about this exhibition of sculpture and cases photos, about the way that that listening to the Holy Spirit is a very significant part of the creative act. And that the and that is a way in which we can understand how the creative act and the the results of the creative act can be prophetic. Hmm. Wow! Okay. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you, thank you for 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 sharing. It's it, it's deep and personal sometimes the way the way this um, the way this process and the way the um, uh, the whole creative kind of comes about, and it was it was an honor to be present in in those moments, especially in these moments. Because um, if I recall, you we made this decision, um, and 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 it was it was hilarious. I mean, to to be there in in, in certain ways, I guess hilarious. Um, Peggy had actually taken the heads off the the sculpture, off the wire. I mean, the, one week they were there, and then next week, no, this was it needed to be something else. And 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 you made this decision and brought these these women to life in this way, and and knew it was the right thing, and knew it was the right decision. And then we talked about. Well, the institution doesn't necessarily know that this is the right thing, and the institution doesn't necessarily know that this is what's coming. And you shared some anxiety um, uh, about kind of that un- that own known step, or maybe anxiety is the wrong word. I want to put well, words in my mouth. Well, you know, I didn't have any anxiety until people started asking, "Was I worried?" <laughs> <laughs> um, it just <laughs> so at that point, I thought, well. What's done is done. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess I. Well, no, it was done, um, and um, and no one 
no one questioned it to the dean's credit. Um, I have had I had a student once um, the year the next year when I taught say um, that he had taken a, a a prospective student on a tour of the campus and the prospective student said, "Well, I guess she wanted to be provocative, right?" And I was really shocked because. I hadn't wanted to be provocative. Mm -hmm. It hadn't occurred to me that it would be, which I guess was pretty naive. Um, it just seemed right. Um, and um, so um, I didn't think about the institution's mm. response, mm. but they were very gracious and no one has said anything. Yeah. Except. <laughs> no. Nice, but uh, but it has been used. Um, the um, uh, the mothers' union meeting, their national meeting, the mothers' union uh, meeting in Maryland, um, and I don't know if you know the Reverend Kim Coleman Jabril. Yeah, um, I do. And she um, invited me to come, and we talked about this sculpture, the making of it, and I talked with a group, the Mother's Union um, in this country, um, she, she described as being like mostly um, African-American um, Episcopal church women. Mm -hmm. And um, then they visited the sculpture and um, Kim took them. And um, there's a picture of them and and the, this is an organization that's worldwide. It's an Anglican organization, and it's very. I only knew of it as being in Africa, and um, and the the head of the Mothers Union is came from England for this meeting, and so there was a picture of all of them meeting the dean in front mm -hmm. of that sculpture. So, oh. I, I think he was pleased then. Anyway, so oh. yeah. Wow. Right. Right. So now, Case, yeah. when we talk about delivering this gift, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We talk, You just brought up about bringing this gift to the institution. And in delivering this gift, it seems like the Holy Spirit gave you all another gift mm. uh, in the form of a, of a troubling photographic opportunity. I think you have it hanging on the wall. I, I do, I do. And if, if Peggy... Um, in didn't feel anxiety. I was the exact opposite, which is I did. And um, I, from the very first moment um, this came about in this particular aspect, in this particular event for me um, as a photographer, um, we were at the foundry um, and, and seeing the, the cast bronze, uh, I think for the first time. Um, and, uh, I was there trying, trying to get all sorts of angles, stuck to my viewfinder, um, just, just roaming about and, and really focused on, on Peggy as the artist and trying to capture her reaction and what was going on. And, um, and through the viewfinder, I see, uh, and for those at the podcast, you can check on the video feed and on the website, but for those here in the, in the audience, I've got three of the images, um, up on the wall and, uh, this is about 300 pounds of bronze that they cast. And the foundry, it makes perfect sense. If you've got to move 300 pounds of bronze, they have an overhead winch system. Um, you drop down a, a chain. You drop down a rope, a canvas webbing of some sort, and you hook it onto the, to the sculpture and you move it. And the way these figures are situated, the, the most 
the sort of natural, the easiest way to move this sculpture about is to drop that around their necks and to hang them from the ceiling. And, <laughs> and through my viewfinder, I froze. I, and, and my anxiety, Peggy, God bless you for being calm about the whole thing. My anxiety shot through the roof. I, I stopped taking photographs. I, I like, I can't take this picture. And then in the, in the very next moment, I can't not take this picture. How can I, as a, as a white man, document the, the lynching of Mary and Elizabeth? Here they were hanging from the rafters. How can I not, how can I not, how can I turn away and not document this moment? And, and there weren't any of the connections that we made intellectually and theologically on the ride home and, and all sorts. There was just this visceral reaction of seeing for the first time what, what was going on. And, and I, I, I guess I, I decided to, to keep taking pictures and ultimately what, what came about is at least some of what you see here, these images of, of Mary and Elizabeth, two West African women hung by their necks from, from the ceiling of this foundry, um, being manhandled. Hey, you know, you know the, the, the beautiful thing about art, right? Um, as we talk about art's relationship to culture, how it confronts identity and, and race and class and gender and all of these things, um, and in this context, specifically art, um, race, the, the beautiful thing about that is it's completely innocuous, right? Like, no one, no one slipped that that rope down over Mary and Elizabeth's necks, like, yeah, we're going to lynch them. You yeah. know, like, mm -hmm. that, wasn't, that wasn't the intent. It was simply and purely, let's move these features who, let's move these sculptures who just by chance have African features into position. And in moving them into position, here is this gospel breakthrough moment where we are confronted with um, um, African bodies being being manhandled, being lynched, where we are confronted with the theological idea of Mary and Elizabeth being lynched, um, like Peggy was saying earlier, where um, in the prophetic in the prophetic stance of of Mary's Magnificat, that she would be taking not just the position of the prophet, but also the position of the oppressed. Um, and 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 because the oppressed would be cheering for the mighty to be struck down from the cast down from their thrones, you know, and so so here is all of that dynamic going on. The Lord truly giving you a gift, but then, and this is the this is the thing for the audience, right? The 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 the, the, the pricking thing for the audience, right? Because then those pictures were not part of the original photo essay. That's right. They were intentionally left out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Why we, is that? We had a, a long conversation, many conversations, I guess, um, both at the, at the original display a, a couple of years ago and then even reflected a little bit on it um, coming in. Do you want to start, Peggy, or do you want me to? Well, I, look at, I look was the one who out. argued. I was the one who argued that these photos which I don't think I had seen. I think I just heard about them. Mm. I, I just don't... Re anyway, yeah. it's quite something to be confronted with them right now. A and, and the power of being confronted with them um, makes me think that, in fact, 
what I argued for was correct, that these photos were so powerful that that's the only thing people would see. Mm. And that they're the kind of, I thought they were the sort of material that needed to be introduced and talked about and not just set down in a place where people would come upon them without any explanation. Mm. And and I this is what I advise my students if they're going to it seems to me a pastoral thing that if you are going to have a service with a lot of images in a and along with prayer and music and you're going to have a special service and this congregation that you're going to do this for has never had an image one in their sanctuary right. they've got a this is going to be a shocking thing. I mean, this is no nothing compared to how shocking this would be. But that that it's a pastoral act to say, now we're going to do this, and we're going to. These are some of the images we're going to look at, or or. And the same thing is true if you're going to look at images which are jarring or confrontational or or not like the Jesus we know and love. You know, we're yeah. going to look at a different one. Um, there are. I think that people need to be allowed to the time to have these things explained to them. Hmm. And I know you have used these photos um, for um, training at, at Virginia right. Seminary. Right. Um, so that was my that was my argument. Perhaps it was wrong, I don't know, but that's how I felt. Yeah. So. I've, I've gone back and forth um, on this a bunch of times, actually, mm-hmm. and and even even this afternoon, preparing and reflecting and talking with you, brother. Um, uh, you know, in that initial moment of of I, I can't not take this. I can't take this picture. I mean, how could I, as a white man, participate in this? This? How could I participate in this? Right? How could I participate as a as so many bystanders did it, for all those lynchings all across our our country? Right? And how could I participate in that by being an observer of it? Right? And then how can I not? And and what uh, one of the places I came to along the way is I did get a chance to use. Um, the sculpture prompted a lot of conversation at, at um, VTS, um, and the images that, that we have, some displayed out here and some here in this room, were, uh, gave me a chance to come back and do some uh, diversity uh, cultural competency training at Virginia Theological Seminary using these images to reflect on. And um, brother, you may remember we had a conversation right afterwards. I, I used uh, some of these images in that diversity training, and afterwards I felt terrible. I just, I, I felt wrong in so many ways because what I did, maybe it was just a, it was far too disrespectful, far too simple, right? White man stands up in front of a room, puts up a photograph of a lynching. Oh, we all feel bad. That's wrong. Oh, that's so powerful. And it's so powerfully wrong. And this should never happen. Okay. Now we're all trained. Now we're all culturally competent. We know that lynching is bad. We know that lynching should never happen. We know that this is violence and it's wrong. And now we know that this is what we're not supposed to do. Well, come on, that's, I mean, 
that's that's the easy level. I, I felt like for that training, I took the easy way out. I mean, this was an odd, odd yeah, sure, this should never happen, right? This, this shouldn't be like this. Oh, and we all nodded in agreement and moved on. But it's got to be something. There's got to be something deeper, something more that's represented by that, right? I mean, this is Mary as prophet, right? And 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 let's take that to like the literal implications. This is Mary as prophet and spiritually in some sense, that statue Mary becomes prophet in that space. And the prophet evokes emotion. The prophet shocks people. The prophet awes people. The, the prophets, I mean, John the Baptist looked crazy. He, yeah. he, wore, he wore camel hair. He ate locusts and honey. And, and so, you know, here it is. We have, the, the, so yes, you feel bad, but the prophets, if you just if you just went with the prophets to a certain point, they made you feel bad. But there was something beyond that point that pointed you to something greater, something redemptive, something reconciliatory, no? And that's I wasn't that first time I wasn't there. And it's and it's almost even just preparing for this conversation tonight, two years later, making these these larger prints and, and looking at these images again, that I encountered in, in the conversation about how to structure this talk and, and how, to, how to talk through this that I saw, um, you know, the, the challenge of the conversation, Peggy, you and I had about, about um, Mary as prophet and, and how do we portray that and women and the intersectionality of the fact that, that um, women have so rarely been portrayed um, in, in the role of prophet. And they have so rarely been portrayed in this, and Mary particularly, in this powerful prophetic moment. Um, and then to have included in that space um, this, this portrait of violence and, and control and violence against the black body, right, that, that, that almost countermands or, or somehow undermines that, that powerful prophetic statement that you have about Mary and Elizabeth in that moment. Um, and, and being confronted now with, um, with the way for me, I think, um, I am, I and my faith are less. We are, I am diluted. My, my faith, my understanding of who God is and what it means to be a prophet and what God's, who God's prophets are in this world is less than because I missed this. I missed that, that violence and the prophetic voice, the violence against black bodies, the, the history, the rich history of, um, of faith and, and love and power represented fully as Mary in West African features as an African-American woman who, if she was African-American had to have this and integrate this somehow into her identity as a prophet. She had to um, have, have this culture and history of perseverance and love in the midst of all sorts of things. She exists in a, in a world where not only are prophets killed, but where women are killed, where, where black women are killed. And, and so now to have all of this um, come together, I think for me, the, the depth of this reflection and seeing this again um, is that the supremacy of, of whiteness in 
the Christian art that I have encountered, the supremacy of the of the white face um, and white Jesus has left me without the richness of this tradition um, of the prophetic that is more than, as I shared at another time, more than just one white man standing alone on a mountaintop somewhere shouting truth at somebody. Right? This is in its fullness the relationship between Elizabeth and Mary. This is in its fullness in the in the in the context of the violence against black bodies and and the the power of of women and the power of relationship, bringing all of this together in these moments. That um, that is now what, as you say, I think that Jabril, that that gift of the spirit, that prophetic gift, is was calling me to, and that took almost two years of, of reacting to and dealing with to get to. And, and that's the thing. And Peggy, I'm going to, I'm going to, I would like to have your, your, your response to this and you too case, but um, you know, that's the thing, right? When we talk about this prophetic witness, right. And, and, and prophecy, the prophets saw before, right. And here this prophetic moment that you all had and, and, and decided for whatever reasons, good or bad, to hold that back. And, and I love the fact that you said that it happened two years. It took two years for you to come to this. You know where we were two years? Two years ago, <laughs> where we were compared to two years now, where we are mm. as a society in, 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 as, as it pertains to race, as it pertains to racism, as it pertains to violence against black bodies, the Terrence Crutchers, the, the Sandra Blands, the, you know, so on and so forth, the Tamir Rices, the, you know, we could keep going. We could keep going with all the myriad uh, black bodies that have been brutalized and how we've been able to somehow turn away. And so I, I, I wonder, and, and in these moments, not, not, you know, using this moment as an example, not this moment as the quintessential end-all, be-all, you know, you all failed us. No, 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 that's not what this is, right? But looking at these moments as an expansion, because there are going to be more moments. You all in the audience, you all listening are going to have moments when you see something that is so profound, so prophetic, that you're like, man, how can I continue to, and how can I not continue to, and then to withdraw and decide, you know what, it'd be better for me to not do. How might, how do you reflect upon that in light of everywhere that we know we have been and everywhere that we're continuing to go as a country as it pertains to race? And how might more boldness have helped the situation? Or do you even think more boldness would have helped the situation? I don't know. Um, I really don't know how to answer that. I'm I'm struck um, by how much work that two years entailed for me to be able to meet these images and these photographs today. Um, and I, I hear in what Peggy had mentioned earlier and that the compassion and the, and the understanding, I think the depth of understanding about how I, I could not have encountered and I didn't, in, I, I couldn't encounter these images two years ago without explanation, without deep work and, and a lot of, of going into it. Uh, my, my encounter with them two years ago was, was, um, so, so shallow and so little, um, and that, 
and that I think it, it exposes how much work we have to do because we, we do need that work. We do need that introduction. We do need to be able to engage with, um, with folks, and I think especially us white folks, um, to be able to, to see and deal with this and to be at a place um, where we can come to these images and we can come um, uh, and, and be ready to do that work and to have done that work so that we can, can go to the deeper levels, to go to the places that, that I think the prophetic voice and the reality of God calls us to, um, instead of to the place um, for me that, that I was two years ago, which really was centered on me, right? I can't take this picture. I can't not take this. I mean, I started both of those sentences centered on myself and not, not centered on the other, not centered outside myself. Um, and so I think f- for me, the, the, the boldness um, and, and the lean into it, um, I think, comes from these conversations and, and comes from finding ways and... Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Peggy and our original decision in the, in that moment. Um, I think the place that that uh, that the boldness I needed was to follow up in that moment, not to wait two years to have to have come to a place where this can come out, but to have had that photo essay be what it was and to find another way to engage and to, and to bring forth and to follow through instead of leaving it on my hard drive, literally, and, and just leaving it there and kind of walking away. Um, could I, yeah. I, I would be very interested to know what the conversion con- congregation thinks yeah. because they've been living with this show of your photos minus these, right? And my other sculpture, and a and and they know the the sculpture that's at Virginia Seminary, um, and I just would wonder what what you think would it would it would you want have wanted these included, or is it better that we are looking at them now in a small? Group. That's a, that's a great idea, Peggy. Thank you for opening that up. Uh, we've got the audience here. We have a microphone that we're willing to pass around. Um, the art, the the artist, the the creative act, and the prophetic voice. Um, where do these photographs uh, play into that, or or do they not? And um, how would how would your experience of of this show have changed? I remember, Case, that you had mentioned this experience in the very first discussions discussion that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, Jabrell can't hear. Oh. Okay. I'll fill uh, you in later. Okay. Um, I remember in the first meeting that we had, you mentioned this, although we didn't have the photograph. Mm-hmm. But now that you're talking about it again and I'm seeing it, I'm having a different, uh, like a deeper experience of it. And I think there's so much in this sculpture that makes me think, like the whole like what Lisa was saying, I'm reading or hearing the Magnificat differently. I'm hearing Mary differently in uh, prophecy. I think for me, I have benefited by having this in stages. Mm. So I think if I had had it all at once, I might have missed something. I'm not sure that I would have missed this piece or I might have missed something else. Right. I think I would have missed something. The other thing, too, is that I like that we're having this discussion in a smaller group because it feels safer. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. 
It was uh, Father Jarrell texting me to let me know he can't hear the questions. Um, so uh, uh, the smaller group made a difference, and, and the stages really made a difference to you to be able to engage this uh, in a different way. Thank you. Uh, Victoria, would you mind if I put you on the spot here? <laughs> Victoria does a – she can tell you about the blog that she does, and, and I think your congregation is – is it's a, a mixed congregation, African-American pastor, um, small church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think. And, and, and poor Victoria put her on the spot because she hasn't seen the show. Sorry. I have not seen the show yet. Um, I also, I appreciate um, the efforts made by Convergence, yeah, to open up a discussion like this, as was said, like in a small setting where we can talk through like some of the reactions that these photos elicit. Um, I I would be curious how um, an African-American might react to them. I know my husband and I went to a show earlier, um, or I guess a few months ago in Baltimore, um, by Stephen Towns, and he's an African-American artist, and he had done a series of paintings um, that portrayed um, Nat Turner and others from that rebellion um, as martyrs, and they had nooses around their necks, and they had their fists raised, um, and they were supposed to be images of victory, but an African-American employee had um, expressed outrage and trauma at having to see those at, um, at her workplace and they ended up taking them down. Um, and so I feel that I am, and when we went to the exhibit opening, um, they had already been taken down. And, um, so we kind of discussed like, was this the right decision? Was more boldness required? Um, and, it seemed that a lot of the African-Americans there were actually, they wished that the images had stayed up um, because it's a painful reality to confront. But, um, and then the artist said, like, he didn't want to re-traumatize anyone who would look at them and um, be reminded of a traumatic past. Um, So I don't know. I can see both sides of the story. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I've got one, yeah, at least one more here. Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I want to say I was here last month for the presentation, and I'm glad I was here for that before this conversation. So I do think seeing it in stages adds to the depth of the reflection. Um, also appreciate, um, Case, what you said about, um, you know, the the boldness aspect and you're thinking of it at first primarily individually as a middle-aged older white man i think there's also the boldness that the white community needs more of the historical context that for example um after thinking about this today the image that came to my mind was the banner that was flown outside the NAACP headquarters in the first part of the 20th century, Mm. a man was lynched today. To say a prophet was lynched today. And what does that mean in terms of not only that that's a bad thing, but the complicity of the society, the complicity of the government, the complicity of the church? And what does that mean in the social and, and church context as well as the individual, and I think that that's where having a forum for conversation and 
and growth in historical depth is is also important. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I I am I am convicted in in this conversation and in never having framed it, brother, as you did in that two year period, right? In that context, makes such a difference um, that that in the two years it took me to get educated and, and to encounter and to. I don't know, work up the courage or, or, or have the insight or, or, or take the time to engage in a new way, rattle the list off. How many black bodies, how many black prophets died in the two years that it took me to overcome whatever inertia, fragility, white supremacy, what, I mean, whatever, how, how, much. And even in that, I, I hear kind of the, the echoes that I wish were my own, but are rather coming for me from the, from the black prophetic tradition of, of how long, oh Lord, how long, right? I mean, but I'm the one not saying how long. I'm the one dragging my feet and, and taking long, just like we talk, we joke about all the time, brother, you dragging me all over the place, but me dragging those feet. And, and two years it takes me. And, and in the, in those two years, what, what is that cost um, mm-hmm. of those two years? Well, and I will say that I, um, my young adulthood, my teenage years and young adulthood was lived through those civil rights, um, oh. the great civil rights movements. And, um, and I, my family, a product of the American South, would say, you know, they just need to give us more time. And so, you know, so I feel as though, you know, that's, that's a little voice in the back of my head. And maybe that's part of my saying, I felt that this was, these photos would sort of imbalance or hijack the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe it was the wrong decision, but it's such graphic material, um, that I was concerned about people being confronted by it without someone to say, this is, this is, or, or, someone might say, wow, did they approve of this? You, you yeah. know, you have, that's one of the things about it, a, a work of art that goes out is that it's then, uh, it's free floating and you're not there to say, well, what I really meant was yeah. uh, these martyrs that um, Victoria is talking about were martyrs and I don't mean to re-traumatize anyone, but they're just out there and people can respond to them or or manipulate them, abuse them, say, surely she meant this or whatever. Oh. So I suppose... I suppose in the end, I would still stand by my decision, but I have to say, I hear those voices from my childhood, and I think, hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we t- we talk we do talk about that often, brother, about yeah, you know, this balance between um, you know gradualism and the antithesis, right? Like this this. This this penchant we have for gradualism, and I was struck when 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 you were talking back a while ago, and 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 mentioning the reality that um, you needed more time to do the work, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I and I see the the nuanced difference across the color lines, right? Which I think leads to something possibly um, for for me at least. I can't speak for all black people. I don't profess to do that. But for 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 me, it is some work that I have to do regularly. You know, I I I can't avoid that work on 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 reconciling how to see those images. I I see them everywhere. I see them daily. Um, and so, you know, when I'm when I'm presenting, when you showed me those images, when you showed me those pictures two years ago, you remember, I'm ready to go. I'm like, oh man, this is opportunity. Let's yeah. have a conversation because this is profound. This is this is this is awesome. And yeah, I, I mean, block that part out. The, <laughs> the crazy thing about it is the only reason it's so striking is because it's also true. You know, if if America did not have a legacy of lynching. Seeing those pictures would have done nothing. If America had a legacy of lynching everyone and not just black folk, seeing sculptors in, with black features would not have been as traumatic as knowing that America does have this problem of strange fruit swinging from the poplar trees. It becomes different because now we, and by we I mean white folks, <laughs> are faced with that guilt of our society did this. And here's a reminder of what our society did. So let me find a way to mitigate the trauma by, you know, maybe making it art, maybe detaching it from reality, maybe doing something that allows me to feel comfortable. When again, profits make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so it, to me, it comes down to, you know, that's why a, a lot of what we talk about on the show, you know, having people engage in intentional relationships of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation, engage in intentional relationships across color lines um, where you, you know, commit to one another that we're going to be in relationship. And so you you have those tough conversations, you step on the toes, you, 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 you make amends, you come back again and again, because then when you have that habit, that culture of doing that, I believe it won't be as difficult um, when those prophetic moments arise. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. And I had I had forgotten, as I said, I, I blacked, blacked that part, blacked it out. It's probably not the right word. I blocked it out. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the, all the conversations you and I had after I after the day that I took those photographs. Right. I mean, that that we did speak about that. And I had shared these with you before even shared the images with you that, uh, you know, a day or two afterwards. Um, and without the relationship that you and I have had over the years, and especially the past two years, to to have that as a context for this work. And um, I think that does go. I mean, what what we talk about with racial heresy is the idea of, of racial reconciliation as a spiritual practice. And, um, and having a spiritual practice that includes image that includes visual, that includes art, that includes um, not just um, what I would include, right? Not just what makes me comfortable and, and has me sitting and doing my prayers, right? But that which challenges and, and makes me uncomfortable and especially images and, and art and sculpture that, that brings a, a message that I would not normally have um, and brings that again and again as a discipline, as a, as a daily um, reminder and, and encouragement to that practice. Um, 
It's been a, a long, a long journey. Uh, it's been and a long time coming. And we got longer coming. still to go. Yeah. And we got longer still to go. You know, we, 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 the, the goal is to make it to the kingdom. You know, and that's the thing. When I when I joked earlier about Case always trying to speed through, that's why he talks so fast. He trying to speed through to solution. Like <laughs> we don't get there till we get there, and getting there is the kingdom, right? And so the, the 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 thing is, a lot of us like to say that because we won't get there till we get there, that means that I don't have to do nothing or we don't need to do anything. But the conundrum is, if we don't do anything, we won't ever get there, and we, we'll be on the outside like the five who were foolish. Um, not like the five who were wise and, 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 and had done the preparations to make sure that when the gates of the kingdom opened, they could come in. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's the journey. That, that, that's the journey. And when, when I see uh, Peggy, I, I give thanks to God for the artwork that you did, the sculpture that you did. Because when I see a sculpture like that, I, see, I still see opportunity. You know, I, I, I still see, oh, man. You know, I love the fact that somebody on a tour was like, Oh, well, y'all really wanted to be provocative. I hope the tour guide would come to say, well, yes, yes, we do. We want to train clergy to leave here and go and be provocative in the world for the, for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, we did promise these nice people here in the live studio audience that we would be provocative for about 45 minutes. And we're sort of 55 or so minutes into that 45 minutes, brother. So... Um, do I get to have the last word this time, or are you going to do it for me? Oh, man, you know, I had told you already that I was going to lean on you to wrap it up since you were in there with the audience, and I was wondering when you were going to wrap, but I wasn't going to step on your toes since no. I had already told you that was your space. Why but, should you today know, be different? It should have been me. It should have been me to just jump in because I know you're going to be slacking off. I know yeah, you're going to yeah. fall by the wayside and just throw it on the black man's shoulders. And so, you know, I'll, I'll wrap us up. And so, you know, brothers and sisters of Convergence, thank you all so much for allowing me to be in your midst, for taking care of my brother while he is there with you. I know the conversation continues in your setting, and, and I hope and, and pray that the conversation will bear fruit, uh, will be transformative, will be reconciliatory. Uh, thank you, Pastor Lisa, for letting us in your space and in your house. And, and to you out there, the conversation continues with you as well. As I said, we will have this all online. Uh, uh, Peggy, I'll I, get your information from case so we can put you online there too so that if people have to ping you they can we invite you to join that conversation as well you can visit us online that's racialheresy.com slash facebook get into our facebook group y'all we try to keep it a safe space you heard the young lady out there making her comments about how this small group setting was a safe space we keep that racial heresy facebook group a safe space so in order to do so we make you fill out an application just to make sure that you really are committed to the work of reconciliation Conciliation, so that we can hang everything out there and, and, and not worry about being judged for asking a question or saying something or putting a foot in the mouth or whatever, but knowing that we are all there in love. And so we ask you, we implore you to join in on the conversation and let us know, what do you think about art confronting life, art confronting race? Um, how you see the role of the artist in transforming society? Um, what do you even think about how provocative art should be treated, should be taught, should be presented. Um, so join us in the Facebook group and continue on in the conversation. Until next time, I'm Father Jabril. And I'm Father Case. Imploring you to risk it all and exercise whatever power and every bit of privilege that you have to become a racial heretic. Thank you for listening to Racial Heresy. Be sure to visit our website, racialheresy.com, to post your questions, comments, and feedback. 
and to share your own stories of life as a racial heretic. Want to hear more? You can find past episodes of Racial Heresy on iTunes and the Racial Heresy website. Want to hear even more? Invite Racial Heresy to speak at your conference, council, church, training, or event. Email us at ebonyandivory at racialheresy.com or visit our website for information on speaking engagements.